maybe historically have been high leverage activities for you, what have been low leverage activities for you, and then sort of start to brainstorm moving forward about, um, about what some of this stuff could be for your team and then bring your team in and have conversations once you feel a little bit established in the concept. Welcome to the Creating High Performing Teams podcast. Our goal is to be the most actionable podcast on leadership and management you ever heard. We want you to walk away knowing exactly what you can do to be a better manager every time you listen. I'm your host, Jason Evanish, the CEO of Lighthouse. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Evanish, the host of the Lighthouse podcast, and I'm here today with Eric Jorgensen. He is an author, creator, and investor. He is probably best known for his book he wrote called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Uh, if you follow Naval on Twitter, you'll see he has many great aphorisms and ideas, and Eric put them together in an amazing book, uh, which I've read myself and really enjoyed. And today we're talking about one of the concepts that's related to that book that Eric has continued to pursue, uh, and it's the idea of leverage. And so today we'll be talking about the intersection of leverage and how that can help you be a more effective manager. So Eric, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me and making me blush all the way through the intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, so to kind of get started, especially for people who may not be as familiar uh, with who you are, uh, how did you get so into leverage and the concept of it? Yeah, I mean, leverage, there's a whole chapter on leverage in the book and it was one of my favorite chapters to do. I really kind of kept digging for more on that. And even after finishing the book, it was something that uh, I probably had the most questions left about. So I really intended to kind of keep reading and learning about it. But life kind of pushed me off a cliff to learn leverage. Actually, a few months before the book came out, I had this crisis in my family, no details needed. But I went from like two jobs, which is about my normal life, to like six jobs, which is abnormal for pretty much everybody, including me. And the only way out was like sitting right in front of me, which is just like learn to use leverage. Um, and by way of like working definition here, I use leverage not to mean financial leverage or leverage over somebody, which are kind of common usages, but like leverage the mental model and lever here is really like a force multiplier. Um, so you can't necessarily lift 800 pounds, but you can, if you have an 18 foot lever, right? That's how the math works. And there are levers all around us. Some of them are obvious. Some of them are less obvious. But by looking for these force multipliers, learning to use them, you can accomplish a surprising amount, 10 times, 100 times. And in the case of some of these sort of infinitely scalable levers, millions of times um, the impact that you could without them. So that's a little bit of the introduction and um, to the idea. And I just got pushed into it and started learning on the fly and sharing more of what I was learning as I went. Absolutely. That's, that's great. And I think a lot of managers were thrust into some version of that same situation, especially during COVID, because as we were all suddenly sent home to work from home and, and children's schools were closed and all kinds of other things happened in people's personal lives, suddenly their job descriptions also shifted because they had to deal with maybe being a uh, self-child care provider and all kinds of other things that made their daily workload uh, even harder. In addition to the simple fact that I think the whole premise of why a manager matters is leverage. You are a multiplier for your team. So that is really the foundation of why uh, we wanted to talk today. And so 
focusing specifically on leverage at work, what is your favorite example of how somebody may be able to use leverage at work to be more effective themselves, save time, or maybe maybe actually even have a major impact for their business? Yeah, I mean, my favorite way to approach this leverage at work concept is really like start super, super big picture. So look at like the highest leverage companies and then scale down to high leverage teams and high leverage people. Like high leverage companies are built of high leverage people. Um, and you can see that in some of those cultures. And when you look at like market cap per employee companies and the record holders like WhatsApp or Instagram or Craigslist, you can see these kind of insane outcomes. And I think Twilio is another really, really high one. And they're just really focused culturally on super high leverage activities. And that trickles all the way down to what each individual works on. And they are just kind of constantly looking for that. How do I get not a one-to-one -one output of my time, but a 10-to-one -one output of my time? How do I solve this problem permanently? How do I capture something in a wiki rather than having yet another meeting about it with yet another person who shows up? So getting into tactics, things that I've seen working, um, I think this is why you see this like writing culture kind of taking hold in the business world. So something that I experienced personally was using um, pitch documents is what we called them because we use the shape up process, but product managers specifically being really, really meticulous about capturing insights into permanent sort of media uh, rather than having meeting after meeting and reiterating and like keeping their notes held close so that their presence was needed, like put all that on paper, share it with other people. Um, by the same token, decision journals helps you not just kind of in parallel, but also going forward in time. It's really easy to forget how all of the variables that went into a decision when you're looking back at it 10 months later. And so when you can kind of see the variables that went into a decision, you realize more of them change than you were paying attention to. It makes it easier to kind of revisit some of those. For other kind of pieces of leverage, uh, I've seen things in other cultures. These aren't places I've worked, but um, my friend Shane Mack uh, ran this company where he offered, he was really focused on the lifestyle and the productivity of all of his employees. And so he gave everybody and a partial EA, a part-time sort of virtual assistant as a perk of working at the company to kind of get them to value their time, outsource low leverage tasks in their life and their work. Another that I really liked that's also in the media bucket is Nathan Barry at ConvertKit does, uh, records a podcast with each new employee as they get onboarded once they're kind of a month into their job. And then when someone new comes in, you don't have to do the like new coffee meeting with everybody every week. You can say like, Hey, Jason, I'm going to have a meeting with my first meeting with Jason this week. I'm going to go listen to this podcast about him. I'm going to hear a little bit of his life story. I'm going to hear his talents, his weaknesses, what he does at the company, what he's like to work with. That is a really high leverage thing that accumulates over time. Um, I like that. That's really, that's of really, of, yeah, that's really clever. Uh, I like how it's I like how you think about so simple. it. Well, and it scales too. Like I think one of the things you'll see mm -hmm. with a lot of companies is that the kinds of things you can do when you have ten or fifteen employees, you can't do when you have a hundred or two hundred. But by doing mm -hmm. something like this podcast, you can keep some of that intimacy. And on top of that, there's often a lot of talk that like access to the CEO is something that early stage employees get that later stage employees don't get. And this is a way to ensure that Nathan stays connected to them while also actually adding a multiplier benefit to the entire org. And that's actually something I think a manager can even do for their individual team to some extent. I've seen managers who have even ju just done something as simple as 
you email the new hire a couple of questions that everybody gets asked every time and their answers get emailed mm-hmm. out to everybody on the team so you can kind of get to know each other like hey what is their favorite food what do they like to do on weekends do they have do they have kids and a spouse like basic stuff that like foundationally helps you build rapport much more easily with the team and like you talked about the idea of a lever you know, you're creating leverage when they don't have to answer those questions individually to everybody. And instead, people can take a look at all of them or, you know, listen to this podcast and get to know somebody that they wouldn't have otherwise. I did want to circle back to something earlier you mentioned. So you talked about how you like to make pitch documents um, as a product mm-hmm. manager. Is that is that similar to Amazon's press release model where you write about kind of what you're going to be launching before you actually put it out? Or what do you consider a pitch document? Just just for people either maybe aren't a product manager or aren't as familiar with kind of what kinds of things a product manager may naturally produce. Yeah, Amazon's press release is maybe like a notorious version of it. This mm-hmm. type of document is not, um, is not written as though it's consumer facing and not sp- supposed to be a press release or anything like that. Um, it's kind of a... It's an overview of a problem and the proposed solution within the business. Um, so it really is meant to kind of be to communicate up to executives of what the intended sort of uh, value add to the company is. It's intended to communicate across teams to people who will be working on it. Like here is the customer problem and here is at least a high level view of what a solution could look like, but with flexibility for the actual team implementing the solution to make their own judgment calls in the full context of the problem that they're supposed to be solving. Ideally, it also includes things like, you know, boundaries around like, don't let the scale of this thing get too big or don't let this problem hang you up. It's getting solved or um, things like that. The it's, it's part of a, this particular format is part of a full process in the shape up book by Ryan Singer. Um, so I, there's, I'm not religious about that particular format and it may or may not make sense to anyone without the rest of that context of the process, but I think creating some writing discipline in your company, I I don't know what stripes documents looks like, but I know they are another kind of notorious, uh, writing culture because of the scalability and leverage you get from the medium. So do you, with these things that you're doing, it seems to me, I know for myself, having been a product manager and now wearing many, many hats over the years at Lighthouse, that one of my best friends in creating leverage and making my life easier is templates. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. do, do you have like, you know, when you make this pitch document, is it something different from scratch every time? Or do you do you rely on a, oh, no. on a, a lot of Oh, no, there's a template. Yeah, there's a template. Um, I mean, I yeah, I think, you know, definitely some of the tools in the toolkit here are templates, checklists, um, standard operating procedures, like all of those go into the kind of, kind of the written media and product bucket of leverage. Uh, in my, in my estimation, in my like course overview, there, there are four types of leverage. Um, there are tools, there are products, there are people and there cap there's capital. And most of what we've been talking about in the media falls under products. Like that's a product of your mind that's capturing your judgment in some form so that you are not repeating it at a one-to-one basis. You know, what we're talking about with like tools or, uh, or templates or something might be tools The tools. I don't know, like we're using Riverside to record this thing. It's going to save both of us time and effort kind of on both sides, using a mic to improve the quality of the sound. Um, you know, there's, there's tools all around us. People, of course, is just sort of finding the right person for each job and being sure that 
that you're not stretching yourself too far, like, which is, doesn't always come naturally to me. Like I'm, I'm very like self-sufficient and independent minded, like in my values. Um, and I've really had to train myself to be comfortable delegating and outsourcing and letting other people do the thing that they are specialized in and using my time to its highest and best use. One of the things we, we like wrap up the course with is, um, the 10 laws of leverage and they're just like rules of thumb. So one of them that we've been talking about a lot here is like, don't repeat yourself, record yourself. Mm -hmm. like when you catch yourself repeating yourself, it's time to make a checklist. It's time to create a template. It's time to write a pitch, uh, like a document, a press release, something like that. You know, on the, on the people side of things, one that I remind myself of is do the things only you can do. If you find yourself doing something, you're like, this is a completely commoditized hour of time. And I have 10 other things to do that literally only I can do. I should stop this thing immediately and just like, let it sit here until I can figure out another way to get this done, whether it's, you know, outsourcing or hiring help or ignoring it or whatever. Absolutely. Um, it's at least a good rule of thumb to kind of entrain that, that reaction to, to seek leverage. Yeah. It's funny how it's, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like kind of, you had a similar journey to me where it took time to really kind of absorb these ideas where it's like your brain would actually start to think this way, where I know I've had a virtual assistant at lighthouse for now coming up on six years, you know, Rowena is amazing, mm -hmm. but she's essentially a stay at home mom in the Philippines who wanted a couple extra hours of work. And I found her on Upwork. And I pay her like five or six bucks an hour, which is which is very fair pay for that 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 area. Actually, it's above average for some virtual assistants there. And for me, the trade off there is crazy. As long as I write really good instructions for her, she can go as fast or sometimes faster than I could do it myself. And mm. that like five dollars an hour versus like you know if I consider my time a hundred dollars an hour or more, like the the leverage switch there is insane. But it, it's funny that like even though I can consciously do the math problem in my head. When I'm sitting there at my computer <laughs> making my to-do list, I'm not always thinking that way where I can say, like, wait a second, even if they're not as good as I am at doing this and it takes them longer, unless it would take her 20 times longer <laughs> to do it, yeah. I should still give her the task. And, and it's funny that, like, I didn't know to do that. I didn't instinctually start to do it until I probably did, like, a dozen projects with her. For whatever reason, yeah. my brain was still in a mode of like, I should just do this myself. I should just do this myself. And it took a long time to break that habit. So so maybe, maybe can you talk a little bit about like, what was the journey like for you? Or like when you've been teaching people leverage, like how do people unlearn that habit of like, I think a lot of type A successful managers get thrust into that management position. And part of it is the old saying, you know, quote, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And like, that can be a great attitude for an individual contributor. But as a manager, that's deadly. That's absolutely deadly. That's going to yep. kill and frustrate your team. But unlearning that habit and learning this new habit is is difficult. So I'm curious, how, how have you seen that maybe break down? Or what, what kind of was that epiphany moment for you or some of the people you've taught this to? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the math definitely helps. So like putting down, putting people through the exercise of, and, and we literally have this as a worksheet in the course, like what is your hourly rate? Mm -hmm. What is it in fact? What is it in opportunity cost? What is it in aspirationally in three years? Uh, what are you like on your, in, as your very, very best? So I think that's a great example that you just showed. The other is 
is that if you can't outsource one thing, you will never learn to outsource three things or five things or 10 things. And there's just a huge unlock between getting through that first one because then the other dominoes kind of start to fall. I think that's a really interesting one. There's definitely an element of changing your expectations around. It does not have to be done as fast. And it, importantly, it does not have to be done as well necessarily, especially when you're talking about, you know, a VA in the Philippines and not somebody that you're And let's say like there are also, you know, $40 an hour VAs in the United States who provide a very different level of service. Of course. Yeah. It's, um, it's different tasks. Absolutely. Different tasks, different expectations, but like almost anybody, especially in the beginning, you've got to be comfortable with them doing it 70% or 80% as well as you can. And that's a huge expectations change that, um, if you can't handle like things, someone not doing something exactly the way you would have done it, then you're not going to break through this. But it's really, I mean, for me, I think the biggest change came around like deciding what I value. Like, do I, do I, is it more important to my ego to have done this and to have done it my way? Or is it more important that I continue to accumulate impact or impact potential? And when I started to look at things that way, I just, I started valuing like, you know, working progress towards a three to one or a two to one impact ratio of my time, much more than I valued, like, I don't know, my own productivity, but I actually think productivity is a huge, is it almost at odds with building leverage? Cause it's not about optimizing the time that you have. It's about increasing, it just totally changes the denominator of like stuff done versus your time versus like, it, it totally flips it. It like unblocks your time and puts what can get done first. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. So let's, let's kind of shift gears a little bit here. And we know our listeners are managers and they are always busy. They always have a lot on their plate. And a lot of times a good manager is rewarded with literally, hey, you did a great job, Eric, with your three direct reports. Clearly, we should give you three more. And yeah. what I think a lot of managers don't appreciate is that the challenge of being a manager grows geometrically. It does not grow linearly. Adding a fourth direct report is harder than a third. Adding a sixth is harder than a fifth or a fourth. And so because of that, I think it becomes increasingly important to understand the concept of leverage because the more people that report to you, the more important it is to embrace that. And so I'd love for us to kind of dig in a little bit on maybe what some of your favorite frameworks are for leveraging managers or sorry, leverage for managers that they can know and use like literally as soon as they stop listening to this podcast, what can they maybe go and do? What are a couple actions they can take today? Yeah. I mean, I know you are a big fan of Andy Grove. Um, <laughs> yes, and we love he, him. he actually I think the first person that I found a reference to managerial leverage to, mm -hmm. and, and he really shows you like you <laughs> additional resources are like a headwind to your productivity ratio. Like you should not be battling for more resources. You should be trying to get more done with less. And that frees up a lot of your time and a lot of your effort. Um, I think one of the things that's really important is for managers to understand the value of everyone on their team's time, not, not just like certainly start with like, what does each of these people cost per hour or per day, or like start thinking about looking at their to-do list through the eyes of like, what am I buying for the company in terms of value 
with the money that I'm paying this employee. And that is a really helpful starting point. Um, it is not enough to break even there or you are a shitty manager. Uh, so you, you need to figure out like how to add value to the company above and beyond what you are paying this team. And the more, the better, right? The employees sort of tendency is to try to make you happy as the manager. Like that's the first order effect. Um, it is much harder it, or is less common in a typical like individual contributor to look past what makes the manager happy and do the best thing for the business or to intuitively know what is a value accretive thing for the business. That is your job to translate their time and effort into value accretion. Um, but you've got to be really ready to kind of battle the theater and the, you know, the butt kissing and the, like, if somebody is like, you, you should not care at all how hard they're working or how hard it looks like they're working or how many hours they spend, you got to figure out how to prioritize and reward and recognize the output. Um, or you are going to inherently like reward people for being low leverage. Right. Um, and you got to align their incentives with taking high, high action behaviors. And if you find somebody on your team who can get their whole job done in an hour and go home, send them home and have the person next to them wonder why they aren't ever there. And it's because they do their whole job in an hour. And if you can figure out how to do that, that's great. Like all of that is wonderful, right? So let them, employees are typically not rewarded for being high leverage. They're typically penalized with more work. Um, and so you've got to figure out how to reward that and recognize it. Um, so it sounds your like team and you, as your team as a whole, I think. So you would say maybe some of it would be thinking about investing and rewarding outcomes over like button seat time or, or sure. like visibility, which oftentimes I think at more dysfunctional companies, like the proxy they use is the appearance of work and the appearance of time as a replacement, you know, even like old Seinfeld episodes joked about uh, Costanza having his car parked in the Yankees parking lot uh, so early and so late that Steinbrenner thought he he worked nonstop. And that was a proxy for being a good worker, as opposed to like what you talked about, where if an employee finds really good leverage and can get their things done in less than eight hours, like, is that a problem or not? I think if you do the equation on how they're adding value and what they need to get done, then certainly it's worth at least thinking about what what that should look like and and how you can align people. I think to get specific though, how could somebody how could a manager invest in their team's productivity? What are some things they could do? I think you can work hard to get low leverage stuff off their plates. Okay. Um, so I mean ask these questions in your one on ones. Like what takes up the most of your time? You may be really surprised to find what they spend half their time doing is something that is someone else's job or could be very cheaply outsourced because you're paying somebody, you know, a account executive salary to do a very basic like bookkeeping skill. I'm, I'm often surprised. I, I, uh, often surprised by like what the, the hourly wage value of what really high highly paid people are doing just because there's no mechanism for putting it anywhere else. Um, so maybe you hire a full-time assistant, share them among your team. Um, I remember coaching a friend who works at an agency and his time gets billed out at hundreds of dollars an hour. He's paid hundreds, less hundreds of dollars an hour. And he went to his boss and was like, I spend 10 hours a week 
filling out expense reports. May I please have an assistant for $10 an hour, buy back my own time that I can put back into more billable hours. And they were like, mm, you're junior. So no, like you don't get an assistant until you're a senior vice, whatever the fuck. And like, that's not, that is pointless bureaucracy from the perspective of like, how do we buy cheap hours? <laughs> like back, well, how do we value invest in our own employees time? Um, so looking for those opportunities all over the place. And on the flip side, look for the highest leverage thing. Look for, look, look backwards from outcomes to the business and look for that like Pareto sort of 80, 20 thing, like what 10 hours in the last year from this employee's time had, you know, a six figure impact on the business. And can you do that two or three or four times in the coming year? And what can we get out of the way to help them accomplish those, those insights and work on those tasks? Yeah, that makes sense. I know as a product manager, it always amazes me how we'll go and make like this really big feature. And then one of the things I like to do to help avoid burnout, and I think we're going to talk about this in a future episode, is this idea that like giving your team some easy tasks on the side, uh, some quick wins, so to speak, is a great way mm -hmm. to keep their energy levels going. But also quick wins often, to be quite honest, customers do not care how hard it is for you to build a feature. No. And so very often small <laughs> tweaks that like solve someone's big headache end up being something that they're even more thrilled about than like the big hard thing you did. And so leverage can often be recognizing where are those 80, 20 wins in our product or where are, you know, tools. I mean, if you look at the market in Silicon Valley, I think if you were trying to tell like a really smart 18 year old, how to build a career that virtually guaranteed that they, they could be become a millionaire and have a boundless possible ceiling on becoming as rich as they want. What I would tell them to do is go major in computer science and then go get a job at a tech company and then look for a software tool to build that saves engineers a few hours a week because there mm -hmm. is a veritable massive industry of engineering tools because there's never enough en software engineers to hire. And so every company is always looking for yep. leverage of their most expensive employees in order to be able to make them more productive. And the best way to make them more productive is often tools that automatically do things. Like if you think about how easy it is to spin up a website and get hosting compared to where it was 20 years ago, I mean, you used to have, it, have to have an entire team with server racks to maintain, and now you just magically push a button and somehow AWS or DigitalOcean or somebody puts that for you. Now that's an extreme example, I think, with engineering, but like you said, you can work that backwards to a lot of different teams. You know, whether you talk about an assistant doing manual tasks or like Expensify and tools like that are great for basic expensing for your employees mm -hmm. to fill out reports. There's a lot of those things where I think a tool and empowering your team to use yeah. tools. Like I think actually one of the highest leverage things you can maybe do as a manager is to literally, in addition to some of the great suggestions you made in talking to them about their one-on-ones of like, what are the really tedious things in your job and seeing if you can replace those or find some other way to get them done. I think the other thing to do is advocate for budget and go and say, Hey, I want $500 a month that my team and I can use at our own discretion. And all it's for is to make us more productive, more effective, and to invest in tools and systems and assistance and things like that, that will take wasteful time off their plates. And you as a manager, yeah. the person who's going to get that approval, like the average IC does not have access to a company credit card, but very often you as a line manager are going to have that access or your boss will. And you making that advocate, you making that case, again, you're going to have that leverage opportunity where you're going to be able to say, hey, this isn't just for me. This is for my whole team. And I just want you to give me 
a certain dollar amount and we'll figure it out from there. But you can get pretty far, I think, just by being able to get access to a little bit of money and some of that discretion. And maybe you can demonstrate to your boss the same thing we're talking about is if you can have this leverage epiphany, can you help your boss then have it? Are you tired of sending your managers to training that they get nothing out of? Do you find yourself panic checking email and Slack when you're supposed to be listening to that facilitator? We all know we should invest in the growth and development of our leaders, but all day seminars with PowerPoints and stale donuts are not cutting it in 2022. That's why we made Lighthouse Lessons. We've taken training and learning and given it a totally different approach. Instead of spending all day in a seminar, we send your managers actionable bite-sized lessons via email that take 20 minutes to review and give them ways to immediately apply them directly to their teams. We also give you a discussion agenda so you can meet with your managers and replace trust falls and role-playing with actually talking with each other to build bonds, support each other, and talk about real leadership situations at your company. All this is available to you at a fraction of the cost of traditional trainers. So find out for yourself and sign up to learn about our programs managers have called more practical than my MBA on topics including for new managers, for rising senior leaders, mastering remote management, and coaching to drive great performance. Find them all at grouplessons.getlighthouse.com now. Yeah, I mean, this is um, so a lot of thoughts about that. Like, One is there are great values laying around you know, 20 bucks a month for a SaaS tool is like, oh God, that feels like a lot. But like when you realize you're buying back 10 hours of multiple employees time yeah, and you do the math on it, it's an incredible value. And those are oh, laying yeah. around all over the place. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I bias towards, uh, towards hiring first, just cause it's a simpler example. And it's, it, but it, there are SaaS tools all over the place, um, that frequently save a ton of time. I, one that I use is, um, Briskine, which is like a email template, uh, like sort of key keystroke expander. So you type like three letters and then hit tab and it'll open up a full populate a whole email, saves you a ton of time typing, can populate a sentence, um, speeds things up. I, there's a, and, and they have like shared things so people can share their own templates and move all around. Um, oh, yeah. but I it's mean, worth, you know, if your team doesn't have time, access to, or time to research that, like you can spend some time doing that as a manager and, and training people up on it, learning the keyboard shortcuts, like all of those things pay off. Absolutely. I mean, I know for me, I thought at first it was cheesy and you probably, if you're on Twitter, you know, the hype around superhuman can get a little, a little bit much, mm -hmm. but it's the best $30 a month I spent because I literally, I got, once I got onboarded to it, I got a stopwatch out and I, I literally for a week tracked my time. How long did it take me to get through email? <laughs> and it literally was, 33% faster. Like on average, I was getting through my email two thirds of the time. It's probably even faster now because I've gotten used to more of the keyboard shortcuts they taught me. But mm -hmm. the important thing was that like, I was spending like 90 minutes to two hours every day in email because I get yep. I, I get every everything with Lighthouse, I'm at least CC'd on. So I'm going through stuff all the time. I'm responding to people. I have to send out a lot of stuff on a monthly basis. And so suddenly having some of those templates, the way that they organize things, just all these little things you realize that individually didn't feel that important, they compounded. And, mm -hmm. and again, next thing you know, it's like two hours a day becomes an hour and change. And that's a really big deal. That's, that's like, I was getting, you know, upwards of an hour a day back in my life. Not to mention the fact that some of the things that they did were also giving me more peace of mind. I think 
one of the things that we forget is there are upper limits to what the brain can uh, can store kind of in the front short-term memory. And so if you don't have good systems for how you hold on to things you need to do, it's very easy to clutter your brain and start forgetting things versus if you use systems that are reminders and and keeping lists and things like that, those things are out of your brain. Now you don't have to hold on to them. And I find that that's also makes it easier to do focus deep work because I don't have to think about those because I can trust the systems and tools that I use will bring back the thing I need to do when I need to do it. Yeah. And the, the less you can have to think about that, the better, right? That, that time to wander or just reduction of stress of like on you, on your team. Um, I, I was doing a little napkin math while you were uh, with the numbers you dropped while yeah. you were talking there. Yeah. And if you save an hour a day on superhuman and you, and you value your own time at a hundred dollars an hour, which I would think is actually kind of low. You're yeah. the founder, you're the CEO. <laughs> yeah. Like you got a bunch of shit to do. Um, you have a, a higher opportunity cost than most on that kind of time. Um, so that's $3,000 a month in time opportunity cost saved for $30 a month in spending on that SaaS tool and maybe probably a few hours of learning it. Yeah. Um, so even if you say it's a $300 investment that first month, um, you, you're functionally getting a hundred X on that money back right. within 30 days. There's a thousand percent return on invested operating budget. And you do not find that a lot of places in a business. Um, let alone the fact that your team feels like you're investing in them and spending money on them and giving them the tools that they need to be successful. Right. Um, and that's, you know, one of many examples, but I think it's probably like, it gives me another question for the one-on-ones is like, go ask them what tools they spend the most time on and make a list of the top three. Anything that they're spending more than a few hours a day looking at is an opportunity for a better tool. Um, so that's maybe something to uh, add to the action items list. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I know at Lighthouse, we have a rule. Uh, any tool that costs less than $50 a month, all you have to do is tell us what it is and how you use it. Literally like one sentence in mm-hmm. Slack is enough. Anything under 50 bucks, anything over 50 bucks, you're going to talk about it with your manager. But there's an extreme, there's still like, we, we're default yes. Like the only time yeah. we say no is if like, wait, how much are you using? Like, if we feel like it's really fuzzy and it doesn't quite make sense, I think we've said no maybe once or twice since I started Lighthouse. But but basically, we yeah. just set a dollar threshold where we're like, you know what, if it's less than 50 bucks a month, it's such a no-brainer. Of course, we're going to do it. And so do, is our SaaS bill pretty high every month? Yes, but we're also an extremely high-leverage team. There are a lot fewer people on our team than I think a lot of people would expect. And a lot of that comes because we're always like, we will always trade a couple bucks for a SaaS tool in exchange for mm-hmm. making everybody on our team more high leverage and giving them more that they, they can do in less time. So anytime someone has a tool they want, that's one of the first things we talk to them about is one, when you get onboarded, we talk about the tools we do use. And then two, we tell them, if there is a tool you really like that you would like to use, all you have to do is tell us what it is and how it's gonna help you. If it's less than 50 bucks, it's an automatic yes, we will not fight you on it no matter what. If it's more than 50 bucks, we just want to sit down and do the math with you. And usually that's enough to get them to justify it. And we'll say yes. Yeah. The other thing that reminds me of is like, there's no free, (laughs) there's no free leverage. Like what you, what you gain in leverage, you usually like shows up somewhere else. And it doesn't mean it's not a good trade. It just means you need to be willing to accept abnormal, um, sort of expenses in other categories. And the, the good example here is, um, is WhatsApp, you know, they famously like sold for $17 billion with like less than 20 people, yeah. billion dollars per person in the sale. <laughs> what less people realize is that they were spending, they were one of the top 
if not the top customer in the world of Twilio. So what almost everyone would have said is like, oh, you have to buy a bunch of, you have to hire a bunch of people. You have to build this all in house. You got to do all this stuff. Yep. And they were like, no, we're just going to be comfortable spending like tens of millions of dollars on Twilio every month or maybe every year, every year, maybe every month. Um, because like, that means there's only 20 of us. And guess what? Twilio is the best in the fucking world at sending messages. We're happy to pay them to do it so that the 20 of us can do literally everything else in the whole business. But most VCs would have looked at that and said, you guys are crazy. You got to build this yourself. You got to get this expense down, totally. which brings a lot more complexity inside the organization and lowers the leverage of it. Zach, Zach Cantor, who I can't wait to have on my podcast, is building a startup called Steady. Nice. He's really thoughtful about this too. He's very deliberately building a super high leverage organization and has a lot of the same rules about like, we use AWS for absolutely everything that we possibly can. Mm -hmm. We buy every tool, you know, we, we build every document and it's really like studying some of those cultures shows you how extreme some of those outcomes can be and can bring you even, even if it brings you 10 or 25% farther along, it's time well spent. Absolutely. What do you think is one of the biggest leverage lessons that maybe a manager can take advantage of? Like they're, they're listening, they're bought into this, but they, they don't know where to start. Where, where would you tell them to, to start to get the ball rolling? Cause like you said, it sounds like it's kind of like you have to have this epiphany and start to understand it and see it in action. And then you can start to snowball it and do more of it. So for a manager that's maybe thinking about both what they can do themselves and how maybe they can introduce this concept to their team, what do you think is the first thing they should do? I mean, the manager needs to study up on it. Like if you, if you can't internalize this and sort of reteach it to someone on your team at the drop of a hat, like when they ask, then I don't think this is going to be a particularly successful initiative for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, you know, start reading a little, um, revisit Andy Grove, check out my blog. If you think it's going to be helpful, take the course or DM or email me with questions. I'm happy to like help people kind of bring this along, but you have to go through the exercise of understanding the mental model, applying it to your own situation in your own business, understanding what maybe historically have been high leverage activities for you, what have been low leverage activities for you, and then sort of start to brainstorm moving forward about, um, about what some of this stuff could be for your team and then bring your team in and have conversations once you feel a little bit established in the concept. Um, and I've talked about, you know, I've, I've been invited to talk to teams before and it's not my favorite thing to do in the world because it's not a high leverage activity for me, but I, <laughs> yeah. I will do it for, for friends. And it is, um, it is really interesting to see the light turn on for people when you kind of bring them through that idea and, you know, uh, I have had in particular agencies who are trying to kind of make this shift into like product companies and they, they sense this need of like, God, we got to get off this treadmill. We got to escape this one-to-one -one profit to time relationship. And so that's what they come for. But everybody starts coming up with ideas for how, like everybody wants to do less work and like <laughs> you, you as the manager just needs to give them permission to do it. Most people feel like they're going to be. Most people feel like they get points for difficulty <laughs> and there are no points for difficulty, right? Like if you watch a sport, like uh, I'm going to use the lifting analogy again, like, you know, you watch a big, strong guy walk out in the Olympics and lift a thousand pounds. That's incredibly impressive because you know, all the hard work that went into that. <laughs> if somebody walked out behind him and took a big lever and lifted the same amount of weight using a lever, like you're not impressed by that person you're, and you're, you're like, 
employees are all the equivalent of the big strong guy who are doing things the hard way because they think that's why they get points. And if you start rewarding people who find the easy way to do stuff and create that culture and reward and promote and give share the benefits of those creative ideas with your team, whether it's in their own time or the earnings of the business or just recognition, you've got to start to create that cycle and that kind of culture or or they're either not going to do it because they think they are getting points for difficulty or they're going to do it and hide it from you so that you don't give them more work to do. And, uh, and, and there's going to be no sort of reinvestment in the continued leverage, which is really where all the magic comes from. You know, this is a very similar mental model to compounding where the gains are small at first, but as they compound over time, they get shockingly big after starting sort of like looking almost irrelevant, they get very counterintuitively big over time. And that's, I mean, I'm basing my whole career on that model now. And there are companies that you can see that are doing that and people you can see who are doing that careers that are made by understanding that simple idea. And, uh, you want that culture in your company. So, but it's, it is definitely, um, it's definitely a mind shift, but I think it starts with, it starts with managers and the culture that they set. Absolutely. And I think one thing that, that I would add to that, that it seems like you've mentioned a couple of times and I want to call it out, is this idea of rewarding instead of punishing leverage. It's very easy to mm-hmm. think that because somebody got a bunch of their work done and found an efficient way to do things, that the first thing you should do is give them even more work. And certainly in some cases, you may, you may want to do some of that, but you don't want to go all the way to the point where you're like punishing people because of discovering leverage. And so mm-hmm. I think one of the things that managers can do that are listening is to think about if someone does find some leverage, even if you do need to ask them to take on like one more task because they found out how to do one of their tasks faster, you still want to reward some of that both. You can do it through praise. So you can you can tell them, hey, great job. I'm really glad you found that. Um, but I think also you can uh, use them as an example to the rest of your team where you can then say, hey, Eric figured this thing out we should all think about how we can also do it similarly or, Hey, Eric is using this tool and it seems to have saved him a bunch of time. A bunch of you have the same responsibilities. Let's get you seats and licenses on the same tool so that everybody can have as much leverage. Yeah. The, the, the story here is like, <laughs> so I had this job in college that they told me was like a scholar program and it's going to be really an honor. And you're going to work closely with a professor doing a research project. And what it turned out to be is you doing like bullshit copy paste work and the professor doesn't even talk to you. Um, so I got paid like, I don't know, 10 bucks an hour to do terrible copy paste work. Um, and so what I did was go on Upwork or I think it was Odesk at the time and like pay somebody like $4 an hour to do the equivalent of $10 an hour of work that I was getting paid for. And so I just kept, you know, 60 bucks a week and, um, paid them 40 and the professor never knew the difference. And I thought I was so genius. Um, and this is a classic, like there's no points for difficulty, right? Like I wasn't learning anything, copying, pasting data into a spreadsheet. Um, the professor didn't know the difference. Honestly, this person probably worked harder than I did. So like the professor probably got a better deal. Um, but I knew that if I told them what was happening, I, I don't think that it would have gone super well. Um, but I thought I was so smart. And then at the end of the year, there was a party where all the like scholars got together and I had this buddy who was in the program and I told him like this ruse that I had been running. And he was like, Oh, that's, that's pretty smart. I just wrote a web scraper, like my first week. 
I did it all in like 10 hours, a whole year's worth of work. And I just sent my professor like chunks of it at a time the <laughs> whole year. Um, I was like, Oh, that was you, way smarter you got, than, you got than my version. You got out leveraged. I got out leveraged. <laughs> I got out leveraged by a developer who, who out margined and, uh, underworked me. And that is, that is another, like, you know, no points for difficulty, like hats off to you, sir. Um, that's, that is amazing. But that, you know, ask yourself what would happen in your company if that series of events played out and who would get rewarded and who would get punished and, um, you know, what, what's the outcome? What, what gets compounded there? Absolutely. One other thing I realized we, we didn't hit on that. I want to, wanted to make sure we did, because I think it's a, it's a fair, fair question that makes things a little bit harder. So I think when you're an engineer or say you're in sales, I think it's very easy to kind of do some of this math and start to do the trade-offs, mm -hmm. maybe even also marketing. But when you start to get into departments and organizations where maybe your department is a cost center, how do you think about leverage whenever maybe the, the, the ROI calculation isn't as easy or because you're already a, a cost center, like say you're in operations or finance or HR, when you're in one of those kinds of departments, it may not be as easy to immediately say, hey, put $1 in the top, $3 comes out the bottom so we can actually afford to spend buck fifty to get $3 at the bottom. Like when those calculations get a little fuzzier and you're a cost center, so every dollar you lobby for is harder to mm -hmm. Uh, get access to, or you may only get a little bit of budget once a year. What can those people do? How how can maybe without spending additional money, how could somebody, how could somebody listening apply leverage still, even if say for some reason or another that the budget is locked down, the, they don't have access to credit cards, but they still want to try to use leverage. Yeah, so I, I think this is a really interesting question, and I'm, I'm glad you asked. It. It's a hard one, but it's an interesting one. Um, so uh, one thing is, I would say, like, leverage is fractal, right? So we can use the same set of techniques and tools and mindset to go from one x to ten x, as from one x back to one tenth x. Um, and so there's a lot of people who aren't necessarily saying like, "How do I accomplish ten times more?" And like, I want to grow everything. They're saying like, you know, it's kind of four hour work week. Like, how do I get the same amount of work done? with less effort, with less risk, with less cost. Um, and so the same concepts can apply. You know, if, if you truly are a pure cost center and it's like, look, this is the amount of work that has to get done. It has to get done regardless or the whole thing falls apart. Um, then you're really in like, okay, how do we optimize inputs down, not outputs up? Um, and it's a little bit of a different set of questions, but not hugely, right? You're still looking for the right tools. You're still looking for the right um, support people. You're still looking for the, the tasks that are really necessary. You're still looking to not repeat work or, or anything. Um, a lot of times there are systems you can put in place. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of things where the finance team should be doing something instead of the sales team or the engineering team. Um, and for whatever reason, stuff gets moved back and forth between, between barriers. But, you know, somebody who's looking at the whole system would want to move, commodity tasks into low cost centers, whether that's inside the company, um, to a, a lower level employee or whether it's outside the company entirely. I think there is a whole other path, which is particularly interesting. Um, and I think, and that is like weaponize it. <laughs> like anything you think is just a cost center, uh, you're fucking lying to yourself, um, is what I would tell like most CEOs and if you, if you, this really so humdrum and like not that exciting, you know, people think HR is just a cost center. 
it's the foundation of everything else in the business. Mm -hmm. And it is a, basically a multiplier on the effectiveness of your marketing team and your sales team and your engineering team. And if you don't have a great, well-functioning HR department, you're going to take an effectiveness hit on the quality of your engineers and how hard they work and how long they stay and the cost to replace them. Um, so don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that like anything that's not, you know, a super sexy, like department doesn't matter. There's a lot of ways you can give leverage to your HR department. Um, and I think that, you know, a dollar, a dollar well spent in, in HR or finance or any of the like so-called operational tasks is going to produce three somewhere else. It's not maybe going to be a super obvious, you know, trackable quantitative thing. Um, but, uh, there's a difference between, there's a difference between leverage and overhead, um, and really learning to see like, what is just a cost that I haven't cut? And what is something that I'm intentionally spending on building leverage and developing, um, you know, a very, a discerning radar, like expenses can be very good if they're building leverage and very bad if they're no value add overhead. Um, and a good manager and good operator can tell the difference between those, but it's not, it is not correct to say that every dollar out the door is bad and you can make a lot of mistakes by cutting costs as well as make a lot of mistakes by, by having like inefficient expenses. Um, so both of those are failure modes and you've got to learn to kind of, um, find the value in the middle. Absolutely. So the things that, the things I was hearing is that I think one of the easiest calculations you may be able to do is if you can demonstrate investment in some tools will save you from needing additional headcount. I think that's an obvious equation mm-hmm. where it's like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to go spend a thousand dollars a month and this one time, like $2,000 expense. And this is going to save us hiring an employee that costs five to $10,000 a month. That is an equation, yep. any executive. And certainly if you're in the operations division, any COO is going to, is going to likely sign off on that. If your math is accurate. I think then the other thing is, like you said, was thinking about how you can better support profit center teams. I know, uh, I guess I'm hoping to have in a future episode is uh, one of the best recruiters I know in Silicon Valley. And one of the things he always talks about is how the right recruiting team can really, really help engineering teams be better at hiring. And when they, Mm -hmm. so when the recruiting team does a better job, the engineering team by default does a better job because those engineers spend less time interviewing bad candidates and they spend less time in interviews because they realize that, hey, actually having that fifth person talk to that person isn't actually high leverage and doesn't really make a big impact on how good we are at picking somebody. So let's drop that fifth interview step and let's have only four. Well, guess what? You just saved the engineering team where those people can cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour or more you just save them a bunch of time, which is a way that you've just brought leverage to the organization, even though you may be in HR, maybe you're not going to get all the credit mm-hmm. in the world for it, but you've, you've introduced an idea of leverage. And maybe yeah. every once in a while, when you do make some of that savings, then you can start to work your way into then financial investments into leverage. But you start with the ones that are, that are more on the savings side, and then you can come back and make that case. Cool. Was there anything I didn't ask you today, Eric, that you wanted to talk about related to leverage and helping managers? <laughs> No, I mean, I could do this for a really long time. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I'm super like passionate about this idea. I think it is the most, uh, under recognized source of advantage, like in the modern world. I think, you know, you could see like Warren Buffett is Warren Buffett because he understood compounding when he was nine years old <laughs> and spent 80 years 
developing that idea. And totally. I think leverage is the idea of the next hundred years. Um, we are in an age of unprecedented leverage, as Naval would say, yes. and the levers are just getting longer and they're getting more prolific every day. Um, and there's a lot to be said. There's a lot of value to be gained by um, kind of training yourself to think this way. And I'll be the first to say it is hard work to shift your mindset and change your values and start to appreciate um, progress towards increased leverage, not just progress, uh, you know, in a one-to-one -one sense, but there are, um, the grass is green on the other side of that fence. So, um, it's, it's worth working through and I'm happy to help anybody listening, um, who, who's, you know, read some of my stuff and wants to talk through or ask questions or reach out. Awesome. So I think what we'll do is uh, we're going to do a couple things. First of all, we're going to load up the show notes with tons of links here to help you out. So you can start to think about leverage. I'm going to get a bunch of links from Eric specific to kind of that beginner's way to think about leverage. Um, we'll also link to his course, which uh, will we'll give you a deep dive if you really want to go hard. But I, I think foundationally, we also want to give you some ideas on how you can start out. I think mm -hmm. we'll also include some, some links to some of the books and things we talked about today. And I think specifically, you know, we always want to make these episodes highly actionable. And so I think your two actions, if you're going to literally take your headphones out and go and apply this today. I think your two actions are one, Eric Eric told you, so I'm glad I didn't need to say it because you know I love one-on-ones, but I love that you suggested bring leverage into the conversation your one-on-ones with your team. Seriously, sit down, plan to ask them your next one-on-one. -on -one, hey, what are the most time-consuming, tedious things you do every week? And I think you can also ask them, hey, what tools do you wish we could use to make your job easier or, or faster or more productive? Those two questions are a great way to engage your team and get you started on how to talk about leverage. And then I think the second thing you want to do is sit down and do the math. Do the math on how much you and your team costs each individually and do the math. Just to understand what is the roughly dollar per hour rate of you and your team. That way, when you are starting to think about, hey, I need to make the case to get budget to spend on X or, hey, I need to see if we can justify making these changes or investments. You can start to say, hey, I know what the ROI needs to be. One hour of my time, one hour of my team's time, one hour of every one of my team's time is this much. And with that calculation, you can start to understand exactly how this leverage works. Like when I realized that my virtual assistant is 20 times cheaper than me, which means that there's an awful lot of things I should think about handing to her and where even if it takes her longer, significantly longer to do a task than it would for me to do it, I should be handing it off to her. And so those are probably the two big actions today. But I want to thank you, Eric, for joining us today on the on the podcast. And uh, I think we'll keep an eye out for any questions from people. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode that's more Q&A based as people try to actually build leverage in their companies. I'd love to. Let's do the, do the radio show, Susie Orman call-in version. <laughs> that's that's episode two. Absolutely. Well, thank, thanks again, Eric, for joining us. Uh, this was a great episode on leverage for managers. And... We'll follow up in show notes and please send us your questions and we'll, uh, we'll follow up so that everybody can start to apply this to their teams.